calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Vulgar History, Feminist Women's History Comedy Podcast. My name is Ann Foster, and today is a super special episode. Honestly, as soon as I saw that this book existed, I was like, can I get this author on the podcast? Because it came out... Okay. The book is Let Me Be Frank, a book about women who dress like men to do shit they weren't supposed to do by Tracy Dawson. And this book came out just at the same time around the same time that the Catalina de Arauso episodes are coming out. And I was just really thinking about women who disguise themselves as men, specifically um, women who wear pants. And I was so excited that I got to talk to Tracy. So this is our conversation about her book and about women's history and about women who did shit they weren't supposed to do. And I hope you all enjoy it. Okay, so I'm joined by Tracy Dawson, author of Let Me Be Frank, a book about women who dress like men to do shit they weren't supposed to do. Amazing title. We'll get into that. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, this is great. Okay, so I'm so excited to talk to you about this book because A, I love this book and B, I love the concept of this book. um, And I love the way that you've written the book. It's very much... um, it's very much the way that I tell stories on this podcast, which is just like you take history, but then you tell it conversationally, like in a way that people today would understand with like jokes and like very much like you're just like sitting for drinks with somebody and like telling them a story. So that was definitely the, the, uh, the goal. And like I said to my agent very early on, I was like this, I need this book to feel like instead not drinks, but like I, I, for someone, for some reason, I always visualized like a diner, like the booth at a diner. Yeah. And like, I'm leaning across to my friend or whoever I'm talking to and I'm taking their hands and I go, you will not believe this. And I'm telling them <laughs> something that I just had to share. Mm-hmm. No. And that absolutely comes across and that's, it's got such a fun energy to it. Um, of just Thank like, you. that's exactly, exactly the vibe. So can you please tell everyone your journey? This is your first book. 
but you've been a writer for a long time. So like how, what's your journey of like becoming the person who wrote this book? Um, my journey, um, is really like squiggly. It's a lot of squiggly lines of like turn, turn left and turn right. And, and you don't know, which is, I, I say it that way because it's like, it's it, as you age, it's so comforting to go to just realize that we don't know what's around corners and, and to start like giving into that because you don't really know how it's all going to go. Right. And especially right now, I feel like in this era that we are in, which is the era of the pivot, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just, it's comforting to me now as an artist that it's like, Oh, you don't know what's around the corner. So just like, let's embrace it. And that's what happened with this book. It's like, it came up as an idea. I wonder if this is a book. Like it sounds like there was no angst involved and then it was a book, but I'll backtrack. So I started off um, as a comedian. I started off uh, on uh, the second city main stage in Toronto, which was an incredible place to start as a young, funny goofball. And from the very beginning, you're writing, you know, I I didn't think of myself as a writer, but that's what you're doing when you're creating these shows. And, um, then I was, then I was doing standup and I was doing like character comedy work. And I was always bringing like my feminism to those stages. You know what I mean? I was like, I want to get my feminist agenda across while telling jokes. Like it just seemed like that was the natural order of things. Like I knew I was naturally funny. At least I thought I was. And so I was like, this is the way that I'm going to do what I do in the world. And then um, because of that comedy success, like it led to a lot of acting work in Canada. And I was like a busy working actor and it was fantastic because I could pay my rent and it was great. And then I moved to, I moved from Toronto to Los Angeles, totally thinking, yep, I'm all in on this acting thing. and I'm going to act and I'm great. (laughs) And I'm going to America. Um, And I did continue to act for sure. But I started to write more and more because I realized that I wanted to have more control over my creative endeavors. So I sort of morphed into TV writing. And that was awesome. I I sold a bunch of projects and developed and nothing got made. Like you can sort of live your whole career, uh, not your whole career, but like you can, you can survive for a really long time. Just like being paid to develop, to write stories, to create them. And then they don't go anywhere. Like that's the majority of projects in Hollywood, right? (laughs) They don't get made. Even stuff that gets greenlit, even people who are reading like the the trades or the announcements and variety and stuff like that, they're like, this project is a go. It's just like, no, it's not. Like everybody knows it's like, it really is a miracle. The stuff that makes it to, to being made. Okay, so then I had this TV idea about an anthology TV series about these women who through the ages would have disguised themselves as men to break through barriers, to break rules, to do whatever the heck they wanted to do, right? And so I thought it was a genius idea. I was so in love with it. And um, because I also came up with the title pretty early on and I'm really proud of the title. Like I just think maybe it's the best thing I'll ever do. Like with I'll the, the it. Let Me Be Frank? Yeah. Yeah. Be- because I just thought, let me be frank, and then, you know, the idea of women just wanting to do what they fuck. Am I allowed to swear on this? Podcast? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. OK. Um, I don't know why. I said, Am I allowed like money? <laughs> <Can> I swear. <laughs> um, 
but the thing is anthology series are hard to set up you know they're expensive you've got multiple time periods right you've got and like for one episode you're going to set up this whole world and so it was um it got a lot of positive feedback but we didn't set it up so I was sad and the reason I was sad wasn't just because I thought I was great and, and I want to sell a show it was about the women it was about the women and I just kept thinking about them and I was like so many people like most people just don't know who these women are and what they did and I felt like what can I do what can I do it was it was out of that sort of desperation feeling because I'd never thought really that I would write a book maybe I've like to, like toyed with the idea but but it it always seemed very daunting and scary right like obviously writing a book daunting and scary um but it was the 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 feeling of not wanting to leave these women that I'd done all this research on I didn't want to leave them behind like I I wanted to, to tell people as many people as possible. So then I said, I wonder if this is a book. So I started writing and almost on a lark, right? Like I was just like, I'm just going to start writing and I'm going to write it the way that I want it with a little bit of humor and a little bit of sass. And then I showed it to some people really not knowing if they would go, I don't think so, you know, or what their response ended up being was, yes, this is a book. And I was like, oh, it's a book. So then I just kept working on um, some early chapters and put together the proposal. I signed with a literary agent who was like so incredibly passionate about the project. So it just like, we were like a great team and we sold the book like really fast, actually. Like it, it sold within two weeks of taking it out, which I'm told is really, really fast because I don't know the publishing world. So I had like this great benefit of being ignorant mm -hmm. to the whole process but that is how the book um came to be and I, I definitely feel extremely fortunate and it felt like just the right timing it just like everything fell into place you know like everything was just like chick, 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 chick. that was the sound of everything falling into place yeah no exactly <laughs> and I love that I love that it did you know because like when you first got the idea you didn't think it was going to be a book but then once it became a book, it sounds like, yeah, this is what it was meant to be. Here we go. It, that's how I feel. I feel like, oh, wow. Like that's a great lesson. Again, it's like, um, there's a phrase rejection is protection. You know what I mean? Like I sort of, am like, I need these reminders all the time. Like when we don't get what we want or what we think is best for us, like to just sort of like keep, keep chugging at it. And I really do think this is like I, I'm like so proud. Like I have a book, and I'm really proud of the book. And and I'm like it was meant to be a book, so here mm. it is. Well, what I'm thinking too, like from what you're describing about like the TV world, which I don't know anything about, but the way you just described it, it's like if you had made it a show and you had sold it a show, and then it died, like then these stories wouldn't have been told either. So like exactly. Imagine they put me in development, and we did all this development, and I made good money, right? So you're making a good living, but at the same time, it's like it's not just about I, it's like the older that I get, the more you're like, I want to do stuff that's like really super duper aligned with my values mm -hmm. and like the stuff that I want to put out in the world. And again, like my feminist agenda, it's been with me for a long time and I don't hide it. It is, it's an agenda and I want to push it and, you know, and doing it with humor and with like passion, I think, um, like, 
it helps. I mean, I want to like helps the medicine go down. Like it sounds like these stories are medicine. They're they're not. I had I just had a a similar conversation with someone the other day where I was describing it as like vegetables. (laughs) It's like (laughs) Jessica Seinfeld is like, I'm sneaking the feminism into the fun story. So you don't even notice you're getting your spinach. Yeah, right. You're getting your spinach. But the fact of the matter is, is if it's like if we spin it that way, we're like saying like, you know, stories of women triumphing over the patriarchy is spinach when it's not, it's actually like totally (laughs) dope. And when people, the feedback that I'm getting, like when strangers reach out to me, when they're reading the book, like it's so fulfilling because people are just like, Oh my God, like, how did I not know about this person or that person? Or how come I didn't know that? And I'm like, it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's, I get like a mixed bag. Sometimes people are like, I was really, I was laughing while I was reading the book, but I was also upset because I was like, why don't I know these stories? Which is like kind of part of it too, right? Yeah, because yeah. we're reliant on what was written down in the history books by like old white dudes. Yeah, who often like had a reason for not wanting to write about women who did stuff because then it's like other women might hear about it and try and do stuff. So yeah, yeah. And people of color and queer people. It's like everybody that's been othered because they don't want them like stepping on their turf. Meanwhile, ugh. what I find interesting, I find a lot of things interesting. That's why I have you on the podcast, because I just want to like talk <laughs> to you. But um, I was looking like just I've got a copy of the book here with me. And I'm just like, first of all, sorry, can I just say as an object, this book is gorgeous. Like how at what mm. point did the artist get involved in this? At what point did you figure out it's going to be an illustrated book? Well, I think we knew from the very beginning I mean, I wanted it to be illustrated and it was a real journey to figuring out like how, because it could, there's a lot of books on the market that are like illustrated, you know, women empowerment and they're illustrated and it's like portrait, 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 and like no disrespect to anybody else's book, but we wanted to do something elevated. We wanted to do something like my editor from the very beginning was like, I want this to be a beautiful object. She used those exact words. And, and at first I was like, oh, okay. Like, but it's a book. Like, I just was like, I'm a writer. You know what I mean? That's what I know. But then when it came time to start searching for the artist, I really wanted to be hands-on in that, in that process because I like my taste and I want it to be aligned with what I love, you know? And I really love, um, like stuff like Egon Schiele and stuff that's like a little bit more like rough or maybe sometimes looks unfinished or just looks very like, like it's just not like super polished. And I didn't want like a digital art look, you know what I mean? Like I didn't want anything to be done on the computer. Mm -hmm. And I poured over so many websites of artists and illustrators. And I would go to websites that of, um, agencies that represented illustrators and they have like hundreds of portfolios and I would just click, 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 click. I was like really into it. And when I saw Tina's work, I was like, wait a second, because it was like, she's an established artist in Germany, you know, like she's, she's got a big following and absolutely anyone that's listening, like go to Instagram and find Tina burning. I think it's Tina underscore burning. She's got like 140,000 followers. People love her. And so when I came across her portfolio, I was like, this is, this is stuff I would hang on my wall. Like her work is stuff that I would buy um, or go see in a gallery. And so I said, this is the person I'd like to approach. And we had a budget, right? So I was like, I was really 
scared that we would not be able to afford her, that, that, that she would pass, you know, and she loved the project, you know, her agent told her, this is like, um, feminism meets, oh my God, what did she say that her agent told her? But like, she basically said it was like women and history and humor. And she was like, I'm in. And it was again, like, like the way the book came to be like partnering with Tina was meant to be like, there's Mm -hmm. just no question. And, and um, working with her was amazing because we really collaborated, you know, she's, she's a true, like, she's an artist who she would read each chapter and she would wait till something like, till she felt something, you know, and then she would do it and, and then she would send it to me. And I would look at it and be like, oh my God, nine times out of 10, I was like, I love it. Oh my God, you're amazing. But then occasionally I'd be like, you know, I really feel like, like Joan of Arc, the Joan of Arc um, illustration is a perfect example because she had done something. I don't know if she was on a horse or she was far away. You could see her body or she was in armor. I can't even remember, but I know that it was like a full body thing. And I said, you know, almost every image that we see of Joan of Arc out in like the culture or whatever is like on the horse with the flag, you know, with the armor or whatever. Right. And I was like, what if we went super close up? What if we just like did? And of course I think like cinematically, I'm like, can we do a close up? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, maybe we could see flames somewhere. That's all I said. And she goes, I got it. Let me do it. And then she came back with what she did. And I was like, (gasps) like, I just gasped because it's just like a perfect, beautiful, breathtaking portrait. Um, and that was an example of, of us like having this incredible dialogue. And sometimes I would push back on, a, on an image. I'd go, you know what? I don't, this is maybe, it's not my favorite. And I, I don't like this or this. And she would say, you know what though? I love it. I really feel strongly about it. And I'd like to keep it. And I would go done because I respect her so much that it just was like a no brainer. It was like, there was no angst in how we worked together on this. So I'm forever grateful that Tina agreed to do the art for this book. And, and, and she really elevated just, it's just the whole thing. It is a beautiful object. We achieved our goal. Well, yeah, I'm just like flipping through it while you're talking. And it's like, cause yeah. And I'm familiar with the other, like really good books, you know, um, where it's like a portrait and then a story of a person, but you've got these sort of like interstitial, like throughout the yes. pages, it's like, there's one page I flip by and there's just kind of like sort of like flowers in the corner or whatever. So there's yeah. kind of like, yeah, it's not just portrait and then a person it's like throughout you've got these things. Yes. Yeah. As she really illustrated the book, like she, she, it's called spot art. So we knew we wanted some spot art and she was, it, it was, that was all her, you know, like, of course there's a book designer, but, but Tina really stepped up. She's like, I think that we should, you know, erase the margin here and the art should be coming right out of the corner. And it's like little things like that elevate, like elevate the whole experience of being in the book. You know what I mean? Like she, um, she just had suggestions that were so outside of the box. Like, I, I think there's one, she likes to also use found paper. So you'll see like she, the Joan of Arc is on like a piece of graph paper and, um, or just like found like, painting from an accounting book or something, you know what I mean? And I love that she was just like, oh yeah, and this will go all the way to the top of the page. Like there's not going to be a margin. It's just like super dope. And so um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I just want to say it's like really, 
it's inspiring just to hear about like you were so passionate about this then the agent was so passionate the editor was the artist was no one was just like okay let's just like do this book everyone was like yes like it matters and that energy sounds just like would have been so fun to be engaged with it was very um um inspire it was like inspiring like it was and and everybody that worked on the book um until the designer came on everybody else was a woman so the designer of the book alex Coleman, um i'm still like in terms of like what the font is and how the layout is but like tina tina did some of that as well with the layout you know because she's just a master at like how to place her art and like how to lay it out you know what i mean but like 99 0.9% of the people in the book were women, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Actually, can I just, before I forget, I want to talk to you about, so I noticed in the acknowledgements, you said you had consulted with um, somebody at GLAAD. So, and I had been, when I was reading the book, I was just like, this is like, you threaded the needle really well about the whole, like, what is gender <laughs> thing about like, these are women who disguise themselves as men. And you like really clarify very clearly, like you're not, how, how did you approach that? Like, I, I assume that's the sort of stuff you talk with Glad about, like how yeah, to like not disrespect like the transgender experience and stuff. Yes. I, I knew that I wanted to focus on women in the book. And so nobody in the book could be someone who has been misgendered or had a complicated relationship with historically how they've been portrayed and, um, so the, so the goal of the book is someone, a, a person who is told, you can't do that. You can't do that because you're a woman. And then they went, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, or authors who they didn't necessarily, they didn't physically disguise themselves in any way, but they took on a male pseudonym or they wrote anonymously. Um, and so I did not include anybody in the book that um, would have uh, identified as a man and then stayed that way for their life, as opposed to temporarily taking on a guise, temporarily taking on a name, temporarily, um, identifying as a man to like go to medical school. And then afterwards, uh, return to their woman self. So that meant that we had to take certain people that initially were in my proposal out of the book. And so I consulted with someone at GLAD about um, Dr. James Barry, who's a very controversial figure and who, when you really read about him, is someone who would, even though there were the term transgender and the identity of transgender didn't exist in those in that era, um, he's he's a, a man, you know? So I was like, well, I'm not going to include him in the book. It, but in the early, the early days, um, I was going to try to include him in the book and to sort of address the misgendering that has happened to him in so much writing. And then I thought, you know, I can't because it's just not right. Even if you, even if my intentions are great and to write about him as a man and his male self, it's like the book still is identified as a book about women. And that would be, you know, harmful. It, it wouldn't be the right thing. However, I'm glad I had great consultation um, and you know, um, it was a journey and, and just like every day of my life with my own gender, with, with the world, you know, it's, it's all a journey. And I, and I love that we're in a time in history where like, it just fe- feels like fluidity in all ways, sexual gender, like just like everything just feels 
the most fluid for everybody ever than ever before. I think that's a great, I'm just like personally thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the book, I had to be really clear about this is my intention. This is what I want to address. People that were rule breakers, not people that were like, oh, I think I'm a man. And so they're like, you know what I mean? You don't, they don't fit in the book. So mm-hmm. they, I didn't, I didn't uh, go there. Yeah. And you really, I think, clearly lay that out in the, I think it's the foreword of the book, just explaining your intent and what you're doing with it. Because I was curious because like um, I have covered, for instance, there's only two people in your book that I've done on my podcast, which I've been doing for two years, which I think is great. Just like how many women in history there are to talk about. Um, And one of them is Catalina de Arauso. I've done another podcast and that, and with that, I struggled too, where I was just like, she lived as a man, but like, is this a trans person? Like, can I do this on my women's history podcast? But like, to me, ultimately she wrote a memoir that was like, I, Catalina, a woman. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) she's like self-defining herself. So, yeah, it's right. Slippery. I think that it's like it's we and like I think I say in the in the introduction, it's like we we can run into dangerous torture when we in the contemporary times try to say or to define fully what's what was going on in someone else's head and their mind. And like it was a different time, you know, it was. And so we can sort of like take their word. Right. Like if they're written a memoir. And I think Catalina, if, if I had, if I had to say, I would, and I say this in the, in the chapter, I would say Catalina definitely seems like a gender non-conforming individual. I mean, I think I'm kind of gender non-conforming a lot of the time, but I don't identify as gender non-conforming. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, that's a, that's a very broad term, but, um, but Catalina Sorry, I got a little, I was looking at my dog and he's so beautiful. I literally got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Saturday morning we are in right now, people. Yeah. Um, so Catalina, I definitely think is the most like gender non-conforming, like really just did her own thing. She wrote using female pronouns and male pronouns in that book. She went back and forth. And um, I, I decided to use her specifically for that reason. It's was like, these were, this was her story. She went back and forth and she, at the end of the day, she was in a convent. They were going to like make her do her final vows because they thought she was a troublemaker and she was, she was a lot of trouble, you know, she just was, um, they were just like, we're never going to marry this one off. And I just love that. She was like, I'm out of here. And she like escaped the convent, like, dressed as a boy and was like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to be in this church, like whatever you call a nun. What is it called? A convent convent. And like, you know, hanging out with women and God all day, like, no, thank you. So, um, and she used, you know, dressing as a man to, to do that. And so I was like, I was like, she has to be in the book. Yeah. And I think also, um, Kylina, and then I think there's also in here other people too. Like, I think you also do such a good job of like, not being like, okay. So if we look at sort of the development of like books that are like women from history, like the first books were kind of like, look at all these people, girl boss, they're all heroes. And then your book (laughs) introduces kind of like, or what if they were nuanced people who sometimes were really shitty? Like, you know, it's not... And Catalina is such a good example of that because she was effectively Very a serial killer, a genocidal yeah. serial killer. Um, yeah, exactly. So I love that you get into that nuance of not just being like th- that sort of like, 
I guess I can understand like in a book for kids, which your book is not, you want to be like, look at this person. It's like Joan of Arc. She was brave. The end, you know, but like writing for adults and especially in the era we're in, like, I love that you're able to, to see these people as people like kind of like shitty things they did too. Right. Like including people like Catalina and Christian Cottle, the witch pricker was important because, you know, equal opportunity, man, like because there's any number of books about dudes and all their fucked up exploits. And like, you know, there's Tony Sopranos in the world. There's Walter White's and they're beloved. They're horrible people. They do horrible things. These I know they're characters, but I come from the world of TV where. They would say, you know, we're really interested in anti-heroines. Bring us like an anti-heroine, just like Walter White and Tony Soprano. And then I would write something amazing. And they'd be like, whoa, that's a bit dark. That's a bit dark for this woman. And they would never say for this woman, but it was like, it's, it's sexist. You know what I mean? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Not so much. And so um, it was important to me to be like, look, not everybody is like, just because they're a woman like the story doesn't have to be like wrapped up in a tiny bow and perfect and um and pretty and and they're nice and they did great things in the world yay heroes and heroines i was like no like people are more nuanced than that and there are women who decided that they were going to do whatever the fuck they wanted and sometimes that was like not great Mm -hmm. but i still want to like talk about them and the thing about christian cattle who participated in like you know the witch hunts and contributed to people you know being tortured and murdered which is uh bad (laughs) but the thing that i explore in the chapter is also like it's not i don't know the whole story none of us know the whole story like it was it must have been a terrifying time to be a woman and just maybe there's a self-preservation aspect to her story, which is like, I'll become this like witch hunter. I'll disguise myself as a man and I'll be protected. I'll, I'll make some dough. Like, you know what I mean? I'll make money so I can survive. And also I won't be, I, I, I won't be uh, accused of being a witch and then tortured and murdered, you know? So I just, I, I like to look at, I like to look at uh, like different angles of, of a, of a story just because yeah, like you said, this isn't a picture book. This isn't like, this is the story. It's pretty and that's it. We're done. Yeah. And so looking at exactly, I think there's sometimes, um, God, I mean, like, I think you and I could have a whole other conversation about like feminism in the, in this, (laughs) you know, era, but like, um, sometimes feminism can be misinterpreted as like all women are good and we should all applaud all of them where it's like, no, like a complete understanding of feminism includes the fact that like there are terrible women and there are good women. And like, it's in the same proportion as men. Like the whole point is like, there's not women should neither be put on the pedestal, but also not the expectations that they're perfect, but also like not assuming they're all shitty. It's like, what about nuance? And I think your book does such a good job of that. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you, like, as a TV writer, comedian, like not a historian, um, had you had like an interest in history, like from when you were a kid, were you like reading a books about like ancient Egypt? Like, was this, has this always been something that interests you? You know, I, I definitely loved history class 
but I wouldn't necessarily identify myself as someone that's like, I love history. I'm a history nerd. However, I love women. You know what I mean? I love women. I love the stories of women. I love the underdog, which is often, you know, in history, it's like, you know, who got left off the page? Like, I'm just, you know, my, my next book idea is like, it's not about women disguising themselves, but it's also like, it's, it, it, it's like a companion piece for sure to this book in terms mm-hmm. of like similar themes. And I'm really into it. And the other thing I'm into is research. So it was like sort of hit these two favorite things, which is I love women slash underdogs and like revealing these things that, you know, more people should know about injustice, definitely consumed with injustice. Um, and I love researching and uncovering things. Like I mm-hmm. really discovered while re- writing, researching and writing this book, that I was like, oh, I'm into research. I love it. I mean, if you look at the bibliography, you'll see it's almost like a mini book in and of itself. Yeah. I, when we were compiling the bibliography, I was laughing. I was like, you guys, this is, this is so long. It's going to be half the book. Like, this is embarrassing. It's so many sources. And that's because I don't like to read one or two sources. I like to try and read as many, like just many, many sources because like what gets left off the page from this scholar or this academic, and then this, but this person mentions it. And then when they mention something in passing that they think is not really that important, because maybe it's a straight white dude and he's like, throw something away, like this particular scholar or whatever. And I'm like, wait, 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 what did you just say? And then like, I can go dig down like a new avenue. And so you have to like, it was just fascinating. And it was like being a detective a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, and unearthing things. And I really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, I learned that about myself. Like that was really cool. And for sure, before I write any TV script, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of research. I just didn't really, I didn't really clock it as much before because, um, yeah, I just realized, oh, that's part of my process. Like I like to read about just like dive in and go as deep as possible. Mm -hmm. And is that how, like how, who was the first person that you thought of when you were doing this project? Mm. I'm sure the research led you to some of the more lesser known people, but like who, who were the first ones that you knew about? Ooh. Ooh. I think Rena Rusty Kanakogi because her story was so linked to an injustice. Like she wanted to compete in judo and it was the fifties and she disguised herself as a boy to join the rest of her YMCA team in um i believe it was in brooklyn and she won and then they said wait a second are you a girl and she said yes and they stripped her of her medal and then that injustice that moment in her life literally set her off on a lifetime of advocacy and like hard all dedication not only did she become like a seventh level black belt. I don't know what the term, the exact terminology is. I don't have the book in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. Not only did she become like an incredible judo master, but she also, it's because of her that women's judo even got to the Olympics. It's like her, it's her and her work. And she said in New, the New York times late in her life, if they hadn't stripped me of that medal at that YMCA tournament, 
women's judo wouldn't have been in the Olympics. Like she drew the line. She drew that thread line. And so when I heard her story, I was like, here's someone that was told, no, you can't do this. She was like, yes, I can. And I'm going to, and then like, it was a short period in her life. It was like maybe an afternoon, right? That she was disguised as a boy, but it was like, it affected her entire life. And then it like, and not only her life, how many people's lives did, did her work in which she did affect and the, and the, and the sport of women's judo itself. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredibly inspiring. I believe she was definitely one of the first people I read about. And I thought, I wonder, because early on, I didn't know if I was going to uncover uh, enough people that really mm-hmm. fit that category. And of course, I, as I did my research, I really started to want to stretch the premise a bit, i.e. Catherine Switzer did not disguise herself as a man to run the Boston Marathon. However, she signed up for the Boston Marathon using her initials as opposed to her full very female sounding name. She got the numbers and then she was able to run the marathon. And it was a huge deal. It was a huge uproar. And it really inspired change after that, you know? And so I wanted to be able to stretch the premise a little bit, but it wasn't just, it wasn't just disguise. There was like many different aspects of like Mary Edwards Walker, the, uh, the sole female recipient of the Medal of Honor, um, only the second American woman to graduate from medical school. She spent most of her life wearing what was considered men's clothing. She adamantly said, I don't wear men's clothing. I wear my, my own clothing. This is what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. And she identified as a woman her whole entire life. And she was like adamantly wanted to present as female and also wear whatever she wanted. And so it's like, again, this isn't someone that was in a disguise, but she did, you know, dress as a man to do something she wasn't supposed to do. Like she was arrested innumerable times in her career, in her life for what? For dis- impersonating a man, simply because she wanted to wear trousers, yeah. you know? So again, it's, it's not, it's, it's stretching the premise, but it's not, it's like, it's not just, that's why I didn't use the word disguise in the title. Hmm. You're right. You say women who dressed like men. So that could be a philosophical dressing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, and then you have a whole, is it a chapter or just like where you talk about anonymous was a woman and you talk about female authors who use male pseudonyms, like Mary Shelley wasn't wearing men's clothes, but she published as anonymous. Right. So I knew that I wanted, so in the beginning, the very, very beginning of, of thinking about the book, I was just like, well, I want to talk about, I want to talk about these authors. And like, I knew about uh, George Sand, who obviously took on the name of, of George and also famously wore trousers and um, 100% identified as a, a, a woman. And I was just like, hmm, there's something here with the authors. And then when I started to research, I went, oh my God, there's so many people. This has to be like a, like a compilation chapter. This has to be like, And, you know, I was like, I'm going to go all in and just write about women who wrote um, using male pseudonyms, uh, those who wrote anonymously, um, those who, like George Sand, took on a male name, but pretty early in her career, it was just understood that she was a woman. And so 
like it just kind of is, it's all over the place. There's a lot of different reasons why someone would take on a male name or write anonymously. And so I wanted to like dive into like all of it and to get like really juicy. And, and I couldn't believe I found so many people and I probably could have included more, but you know, we didn't want the chapter to be the entire book. So um, that was a really fun chapter to read, uh, to write because my friends who are like, bookworms, you know, have read, they're more well-read than I. And when I talked to them about Jane Austen, I said, like, did you know that in Jane Austen's lifetime, she never published using her name, like never while she was alive was her name on one of her books. And my friends were like, what, how do I not know that? And Mm. I'm like, oh, this makes the chapter even more exciting because I'm telling people like things that they think that they know about these well-known people. The Bronte sisters, while they were alive, they only published using male names. Nobody I talked to knew that in terms of my friends, my circle of friends. So I just thought that was really juicy because I was like, there's a lot to to talk about here that's going to surprise some people, even about well-known people. Yeah. And I think that's also a real um, strong point. Well, and I'm sure it was canny on your part that this book, there are people who are very lesser known. And then there's Joan of Arc, you know, we already mentioned her, like Mary Shelley. It's like, oh, people have heard of them, but you don't know this angle about their life. So it's not just like, here's a book full of people you've never heard of. It's like, oh no, there's like touchstones here. Yeah, um, for sure. And it wasn't like, I, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I didn't like plan that. It just kind of happened. And I was like, oh, I like this, you know, like a, it's a, it's a mixed bag. And there's also someone like Mary Shelley who like has gotten a raw deal, right? So it's like, I want to write from a feminist perspective and say, you know, there's a lot of people still out here in 2022 who believe that her husband wrote that book. Mm -hmm. You know, this is still a common uh, narrative. And um, she published uh, Frankenstein. The first edition was uh, anonymous. There was no name given, but her husband, her poet husband, Percy, I don't know how to say his middle name, Bish. <laughs> it's a dumb name, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a dumb name. He <laughs> wrote like a foreword, like he he wrote like an introduction or whatever. And so people were like, oh, well, obviously he wrote the book because when it came out that it was her, and I think she was a teenager when yeah, she wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were like, this girl wrote this book about this monster? I don't think so. And I mean, that's infuriating, right? So- I was like, I want to uh, put this down on record that this is some bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, there was an article. I don't know. Every time I'm also like big Mary Shelley stan. Um, But every now and then, like either I see an article or someone forwards it to me where it's like someone says like, oh, H.G. Wells invented science fiction. It's like, I'm sorry. No, this like 16 year old (laughs) like wrote this novel, like whatever, 100 years before that. Like, please put some respect on her name. Yes. I love the like two page spread, by the way. Like, again, I have the book in front of me. I'm just like perusing. But yeah, so this whole section, Anonymous was a woman. There's like two page picture. Can you, I don't, you don't have it in front of you, but it's like, can you describe? I know, I know exactly. Listen, yeah, yeah. This was a big deal. This, this, um, this image, because when I finished that chapter, I knew that it was longer than all the others. And I said, this should be right in the middle of the book. And so I talked to Tina and Tina had done in her work. I had seen her do a couple of like, of these group 
these big group shots, not dissimilar to that image. And I said, I'm having, I don't know, is there something that we could do that's in that vein? And she said to me, which always thrilled me when she would say this to me, that's a great idea, Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like, oh my God, I just, I really talk about holding someone up on a pedestal. I definitely uh, think that of Tina. So she's like, let me, let me, let me think about it. And then she did this big group uh, image. And initially um, all the men had faces and the women had faces and, and she sent it to me and I went, Oh, what's with all these dudes? Like I was bummed out. Like I was like, like, it's just, there's a lot of men and there's so much more of them. And I know that that's the reality, but there's something it's does. It's not thrilling me. I don't get it. And she said, ah, I have an idea. What if I take, what if I make all the men faceless? And then she went and she like got rid of all the men's faces. And then the women were highlighted in a different color and their faces are clear. And she sent it back to me and I gasped. And whenever I show that image to friends, they gasp. Oh my goodness. Because when you look, you go, oh, there's Virginia Woolf. You go, oh, there's Mary Shelley. Like you can pick them out, even though they're these teeny tiny faces. And then later in the chapter, there's the full size version of each of those uh, images, which is great. And it's like flipping, flipping the anonymity thing. You know, the men are anonymous in that mm-hmm. big image because we're highlighting the women and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful image. It's so stunning. And that's the thing. I'm really happy to hear about how collaborative the art piece of it was. Cause I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you had just like written this book and then they handed it off to someone who did the pictures. Like I love knowing that you were so involved in helping or just like with yeah, feedback and stuff. Truly, yeah. Yeah. It was special. It was truly like, it was just a blessed, special process. And also like, I mean, I quickly fell in love with Tina, you know, like it was like, we just happened to have a great rapport and we still talk, you know, every other day and <laughs> I can't wait to go to Berlin. I was like on one of our FaceTimes, I was like, you have an extra bedroom, right? Because I'm coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just think, I mean, my dream, my dream is that obviously the book would be published in different languages. And I think because she's, you know, a well-known German artist, I would love it if some German publisher would want to do the German version and use all the same art. And I would come to Germany and we would have a big party. That is my Mm. dream. And I'm putting it out in the universe. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. So is it, has it been sold in other countries or is that still like ongoing? It's ongoing right now. And it apparently, you know, each book is its own animal. Like sometimes obviously certain books, like maybe novels, like sell to multiple markets very easily and fast. And other times it's a real slow rollout, I'm told. And we are talking to some people, but it's a real fingers crossed thing. Because the other thing about this book is it's not a novel, which has one picture on the cover and then it's all words. It's a big undertaking. It's it's like you can tell, I'm sure when you hold the book in your hands, like it's a beautiful, like they they it's it's an expensive, you know, book. <laughs> they and so they, they would have to really like want to do it or feel like it would be a success. I personally think it's a no-brainer. Come on, guys. I I think I would like it to be in French because my mother's French Canadian and a whole half my family is French. So I'm like I would love there to be a French version and I would love there to be a German version. So those are my mm. two uh, wishes. Well, well also the, the people in the book, like they're international figures. So it's like, I feel like any yeah. country where one of these people lived, there should be a, yeah. that version, I think. I, I, I counted quite a few uh, 
French people in the book, actually, which was not like, oh, I'm I'm one of all these French people. It just was some of that's how some of the stories, you know, showed themselves to me. But um, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed on the France thing, because mm-hmm. I, I hear that there's some discussion, but it's like, you know, you don't want to hold your breath. You just keep on going with your life. Yes. Well, I'm excited when you said that you like have ideas for a follow up book, because I think this would be a great little duology whatever the the second book would be. What would the second book be? Tell me, what's your idea? Well, I can't, I can't talk about it. Is it secret? Okay. But it would be also biographies of people. There's going to be, it's going to be, I mean, the dream, you know, we're hoping it all gets greenlit, but it's like, it, I will just say like, it's a sister piece to this while not being about people who dressed as men to break rules it's not even really about rule breakers but it is definitely like women and (laughs) it's 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 like they would fit together I mean that's the only thing that I could say and I'm really hoping uh yeah I'm excited to start working on it basically okay okay I don't need to break your (laughs) vow of secrecy but I'm 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 really happy to hear that just because I know like you're a tv writer and you wrote a book and sometimes people like well that's it I wrote my book and I'm gonna like do something else but I'm glad that you're like leading into this yeah I'm I'm I really am leading into it because it really is like it's like that thing where they're like go where the love is and I'm like feeling so much love and I I just loved the process and working with Tina and if we can do the same exact sort of collaboration and do like a companion piece in that, in that way that, you know, it's a, it's like a similar book with Tina, like that's, mm-hmm. that would be the dream. And it's like, who doesn't want to, it's like, you know, when certain directors like always want to use work with the same cast, they're making different movies, but they're like, they're sticking with what they love and the people that they love working with. And so my thing is, I would love to keep doing that. And, you know, this book and the next book, like both of them could be, could be adapted for screen. Like there's, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of options that, that could bring me back for sure to the world of TV and film, which I'll always, you know, be working on. But right now what I'm feeling this call to do is I, I mean, I just loved it. I was also really lucky because I sold the book on March 20th, 2020. And I don't Ah! remember what was happening (laughs) at that time. People were buying books that day. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was wild. Yeah, it was, it was wild. I mean, I was very fortunate that this editor wanted this book. So she was not letting, uh, uh, transitions to working at home and pandemics stop her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it was a crazy time to sell a book, right? When you're like, I wonder what's going to happen in the world. And there's just like, I know what I'm doing for the next two years. And I foolishly thought by the time we published in May, 2022, that the pandemic would be a thing of the past, which is just so wild. It's mm-hmm. so wild just to think like, nope, I was, I thought I was being real. I didn't think I was being pie in the sky in my thinking either. I thought I was being no. realist. No, no one did. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, anyway. well, we're going home for like two months. So here we go. But yeah, honestly, even, no, but yeah. even, even me, I was like a year. I was like, okay, so a year from now will be 2021. And then we're still a year from pub date. So I was like, I'm going to be doing book tours. I'm going to be doing events in the store. I had done one event in person Uh this whole, this whole time, which is totally fine. I've actually loved all the events and the, and the things that I've been doing from the comfort of my own living room. It's been, it's kind of, you know, it's working. We're making it work. 
Well, and I think too, like not that I really don't want to be like, look on the bright side, but I feel like your book came out May, 2022, like publishers and bookstores have had two years to figure out how to do online events and audiences have learned how to engage with them. So you're coming. So it's not like, oh my God, an online event. What is that? It's like, no, it's like an infrastructure that people know. It's like, okay, this is how it works. So you're not like one of the first people who had to like try and learn it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Like nobody was like, what Zoom? Like everybody was yeah. like, we know what we're doing. Yeah, I I think that the, that that's very uh, astute, and I will mm-hmm. take that bright side thinking. <laughs> I am okay. This is like we're almost wrapping up with the time we had scheduled to talk about this, but so I'm trying to think of like a really good final question, and it's like not a good final question, but it's one I meant to ask you before, which is how did you decide what order to put them in? I'm just going to tell you the truth that I, and by the way, I don't have to be like, I'm done at one hour. But like, if you, if if, if you, if you want to ask more questions or whatever and edit it together, however you want, like it's, that's all good with me because who doesn't love talking about their book anyway? um, So I finished all the chapters and I really was like, okay, what I, all I knew was anonymous was going to be in the middle. Right. Which was at least a start. Right. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And I, and I went to Staples and I got these color-coded uh, note cards, these index cards. And I wrote all the names on the cards. I tried to color coordinate them in terms of like thematically. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of, uh, that was, that was really hard because it's like it, the, the categories are, are all over the place. Right. But I did end up writing like the era, 20th century, 17th century, 19th century. Right. So then I was like, okay. And then I took tape and I put them, I've got this big, vast wall in my kitchen over my dog's dinner area. And I just put them in an order and uh, for days and days, I just moved the order around. And then I would come in every single day and I would look at the order and I would feel my way. I would let my eyes just pass over and I would feel over the book visually. Mm -hmm. And I would go, I'm going, uh, no. And I just kept changing it until I finally was like, this is it. So I knew that I wanted it to be, I, I thought chronologically was boring. So I was like, this cannot be a chronological book. Like that, that to me is not my jam. So I knew I wanted it to be mixed up, but it had to, there had to be a feel to it. And I do things a, a lot of the time intuitively. And so that's what I did with the cards on the wall. Like I, I put I thought about it intellectually, but I really felt my way through it in terms of who do I want to start with? Okay, Hannah Snell is like fun. Um, it's not horrific, but it's got some like darker stuff. You know what I mean? Like you want to like ease people in, in a certain way, (laughs) what's a good introduction. And yeah, I just, does that all make sense? Like what, how I No, it it? totally does. It reminds me of like making a mixtape or something. Yeah. Like sometimes you're just going by feel like you just like, this is what feels right. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, I, I, I changed my mind all the time about like, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. So you kind of have to just really make a decision really mm. and stick to it. Well, and I, I do all that I've ever, I've just like, I don't know how to, I, the seasons on my podcast, I'm like, and chronological. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I don't know what else to do. So I appreciate that you put that much thought and work into, cause it really, it does flow. And where you're looking, it's not like, cause they're all different countries. It's not like you have to go chronological. It's not like, well, ancient Egypt. And then like, the next story is not about like less ancient Egypt. Like you're jumping all over the place and everything's a separate context. So I do think, yeah. Do you, 
have you heard from people? Like, I think it's the sort of book that you could like pick up, read a story over your like whatever coffee break, or you could read it cover to cover. Like, have you heard how people are engaging with it? I have. Uh, it's been so interesting and I, I love it. I really, really do love hearing everybody's story, but I've heard people that read it in two days. I heard, I've heard people that are picking it up and engaging with it and then putting it down. And they're saying, you know, it's on my coffee table and it's so beautiful, which I always love because it is beautiful. And so people are either devouring it or they're savoring it. It really, it really is one of those two. I have a friend that's reading it in three chapter chunks. So whenever there's a nice sunny day up in Vancouver, he's out on his deck with a glass of rose and he reads three chapters in mm-hmm. chunk. and he like reports back to me. And I think that's <laughs> really cute. Um, yeah. Um, I also like it when people like my mother reads slow and, uh, she's like savoring it. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm not reading it faster. I'm like, are you kidding? Like you're savoring it. Like, it's a beautiful thing. Whether someone devours something or savors it, it's like, those are both compliments really. If mm-hmm. you think about it in, in their own way. Um, so I, I had someone say like that they didn't want it to end. So they wait, they like, they put off reading the last chapter, which I so relate to. Like yeah. I'll do that with, with either books. Like I'll just be like, I have to be in the right circumstance to finish like a book that I'm just completely into. Like, I don't want to just have it be the wrong circumstance that I read the last chapter. It's hysterical. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I don't know. I have to say, like, I find it so wonderful to hear. And I think it comes across somehow in the book, like that you had such a good experience working on it. You know, like the fact that like the team was so on board, like that in March 2020, she was like, guess what I'm doing? Buying this book, like as I like transition to working from home or whatever, like the fact that everyone was so passionate, I think that. And I love that everyone was so passionate about it and I'm so passionate about it, like as a reader, like I think it's such a cool book and I love that it like that your idea transitioned from being the TV show to being the book where it's just like, I think you said at the very beginning, like you just wanted people to know these stories. Yeah. It really, it's like, it really felt like they, these women were like with me on the journey. Like, even if it sounds cheesy, like I don't care because I felt like we were like a team and it was, it's like, if I ever had any moments of, you know, every writer has moments where they're like, I'm stuck. I don't know or whatever. Right. Like there's a puzzle to figure out. Most of the times I was like, okay, this is a puzzle and it's fun we get to figure this out together, you know? And I really felt like the spirits of these women, some of whom are still alive, not that many, but a a couple are. Um, I did feel like that I had a purpose. Like, it wasn't like, I'm a great writer and I'm, you know, I'm the center of attention. Like, it didn't feel like that. It felt like I was like doing something for them. And that just kept me going. Like, even if you hit like a wall, I don't know if that sounds cheesy, but that's exactly how it feels. It felt, mm-hmm. and it was, and it's very, very true that I just felt them. And and again, who wouldn't want to keep going with something like that? So with the next book idea, I'm like, I've had this idea for a reason. You know what I mean? Like it's popped mm-hmm. up in my consciousness, and I'm and I'm loved this first book, so I would love to do it again. And yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate with the fact that it landed at HarperCollins and 
they took such care with it. Like it's so beautifully made and like the paper that they used and the, you know, we, we had this back and forth about whether there would be a book jacket or not, because I always assumed that there would be, but then when they were like, you know what, we really think that this shouldn't be a book jacket. And this is like more of a modern, cool thing that's happening more and more. And I was like, Oh, what, what does that look? What, what do you mean? Like, I just was confused and I had to go to the bookstore and like, look at some cool new releases that were done in this way. And I was like, Oh yeah. And then they, you know, when we finally go through all the phases and we're back and forth, back and forth, they send you so many versions of the, of the cover and the layout and the whatever. And then when they finally send you that first copy of the book, you're like, Holy shit. Like you guys did such a good job. Of course, I was a part of the, every single step of the process, which again, so fortunate. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, it was in my contract that like I was a part of it. You know what I mean? So I was really lucky that, um, you know, I was on board the whole time. But that doesn't mean you know what the final product is going to look like until you're holding it in your hands, right? Mm-hmm. And when I took it out of its package, I was like, holy shit. You know, so I'm just so, I'm so grateful of the the whole process and that I have this beautiful book now and look, we can do things that we never thought we were going to do before. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lovely, a lovely little wrap up moment. Um, I think the book, I love that. um, Just what you were saying too, just about like people like who are like getting in touch with you about reading it and stuff. Like I love the, like all the, like, I don't know, the little ripples of like, you know, someone learns the story of this woman and maybe that inspires somebody to do something, you know, like all the like invisible ways that this is going to like have effects on people, I think is really beautiful too. Mm, I hope so too. That's definitely something I've heard where people are like, I had to put the book down so that I could go online and read more about this person or like, because that's another thing that the bibliography is good for. It's like, Mm. you want to know more about X, Y, and Z person. Here's some books that you can go and like read the whole thing. And they do even more, you know, than I did in my chapter to talk about their whole life or something. And it's, if it's going to inspire more reading about them, like, Oh, that's what a dream that is too. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. This was like the best conversation. Ah, thank you so much for asking. I'm so glad you reached out and um, just a pleasure. So again, Tracy's book is Let Me Be Frank, a book about women who dress like men to do shit they weren't supposed to do. It's available all over the place, wherever you get your books. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the link to purchase it through bookshop.org, which is a site where when you buy through my link, a little bit of money goes to support this podcast. Of course, you can also get the book, hopefully, at your local public library. So yeah, um, you can find out more about the show at vulgarhistory.com, including there's a form there where you can um, leave me your suggestions of people to do in future episodes. I don't know, books you think I'd like things I pronounced in ways that you want to correct me on, whatever, there's a link there. Um, if you go to vulgarhistory.store, you can use tits out for free US shipping or tits out 10 for 10% off. Just add it to the store is the affair of the necklace, the necklace, the t-shirt, which is a t-shirt that makes it look like you're wearing the necklace from the Jean de Lamotte episode. I'm so happy with how it looks. And yeah, so what better time? to use your codes to make a little order from the shop. You can also support me at patreon.com slash annfosterwriter um, or on Instagram at vulgarhistorypod, Twitter at vulgarhistory. And yeah, 
I guess all that's left to say is to keep your mask on, your pants on, and your tits out. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.